Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Good to be with you, Ashley. Good to have you. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. I took some uh, some time off this past week, fully vaccinated, kind of ventured out into the world for the first time. Mm-hmm. was amazing. Feeling very... Very rested and ready to kick off an Ignatian year. Yes. And so last week while you were out, we had a pretty exciting interview to start this Ignatian year with Father Arturo Sosa, the Superior General of the Society of Jesus. Yes. So if that is a title that is unfamiliar to you, but you are familiar with the Jesuits, think of this as a top Jesuit. He's He is in charge of all of the Jesuits uh, and... <laughs> Occasionally is called uh, the Black Pope, which I I don't know if that is a title that is loved. It refers to the black cassocks that the Jesuits wear Mm -hmm. versus the white one that the Pope wears. Um, But, you know, given that our current white Pope is a former Jesuit, their relationship is pretty interesting, which I think you get into. I did. I asked uh, Father General whether he reports to the Pope or the Pope reports to him because he's the top Jesuit. I also ask him if he's technically our boss since we work in a Jesuit apostolate. Mm. So you can get the answers to both of those questions and much more um, if you stick around for our interview. Now, and as Ashley mentioned, um, I was on vacation, so I was not here for this. So instead of my voice, you're going to hear a special crossover podcast event that the world has been waiting for. Uh, and so it's Ashley, who you know from this podcast, and also Colleen Dully, our colleague and host of Inside the Vatican. You two did a phenomenal job on this conversation, and I think listeners are going to love it. Which brings us to our drink for this week, which is tied to this Ignatian year that we've mentioned. Right. So the... Ignatian year, which uh, the Jesuits around the world are celebrating and encouraging their lay collaborators to celebrate too, marks the 500th anniversary of St. Ignatius's cannonball moment, right? And just a quick, if you don't know what that is, basically Ignatius, before he was St. Ignatius certainly, was fighting in the Battle of Pamplona and got his leg kind of shattered by a cannonball, which led to a pretty long recovery during which he started reading some books about Jesus and the saints and eventually decided to found the Jesuits. Yes. And Zach, you've come up with a wonderful cocktail uh, for to, to mark this moment. So can you tell us a little bit about it? Absolutely. Now, I'm hoping that this spreads throughout the Jesuit network. So if you are someone who works with and for the Jesuits, please tell all of your colleagues that this is the official cocktail for the Ignatian year. All right. So it's called the Cannonball. And it contains a few ingredients. The thing that is the centerpiece is a single blackberry that is dropped in the drink at the end 
to represent the cannonball. Um, I'll just go through the ingredients. It's mezcal, lime juice, um, blackberries, jalapeno slices, agave nectar, and some optional soda water for topping. And basically, you're going to muddle all of that together in a cocktail shaker, shake it up, and it comes out this beautiful red color. It's going to taste like blackberries, jalapenos, and the mezcal. The Both the alcohol and the spiciness should hit you like a cannonball. And if that's not <laughs> enough, the final touch is to drop a single blackberry no lower than six inches above the glass into your your finished product all right are we doing this oh yes you have your blackberry oh mine's already in there (laughs) oh i haven't dropped mine in yet well please go ahead (laughs) okay does that look like six inches to you i think so you could go higher for effect okay (laughs) all right just got a little bit on my desk but that's that's quite all right step six is clean up any mess and step seven is await convalescence and conversion to christ so here is to the ignatian year all right cheers oh wow yeah that is a kick it's got a kick i might go with the uh optional club soda to top it off dilute it down (laughs) yeah oh but it's good and it's so pretty this color i i'm pretty pleased with myself (laughs) all right so that's our drink this week and Before we get into the rest of our show, we do have a quick word about our sponsor. Now, being Jesuit educated, I know Ashley is not, but she still participates in that tradition. I love the feeling of learning something new. It just, it it gets me going. And when I want to learn something new, Ashley and I have been doing this, we usually turn to The Great Courses Plus, which is a streaming service that is a must have. And we've got an incredible deal for our listeners. To get a free trial, you can get plus 20% off when you sign up for the annual membership. To do that, you have to go to our special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Jesuitical. There's hundreds of courses, but we really wanted to tell you about one specific one. Yes. So the weather is getting warmer here in New York. And one thing that we love to do is go camping. And thankfully, The Great Courses Plus has an outdoors fundamentals course, everything you need to know to stay safe. And I was particularly excited about lecture 14 on building a campfire. Right. And, you know, I am not a I'm not a Boy Scout, not an Eagle Scout, never have been, but I nevertheless have the confidence of one when I'm building a fire. (laughs) And it does not always work out for the better. And oftentimes I'm spending most of my camping trip searching for sticks with my iPhone flashlight to somehow keep the fire going. And so um, I thought this was a great, great intro on to how to avoid that experience. Yes, it is uh, taught by Elizabeth K. Andre, who's an associate professor of nature and culture and outdoor education department at Northland College, which sounds like the coolest job ever. Um, yeah, professor and, of nature. <laughs> and I've, I've built a lot of fires in my life, and I still learned a lot from this lecture, including that you can use uh, Doritos as, as Tinder to get a fire going. Apparently, the oil on the chips is enough to, uh, <laughs> to start a fire. Which is insane because of of all the times I've spent looking for things around me to get a fire going, I've had them at my fingertips, quite literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I, I, I love that. And I had really kind of given up hope that I would ever learn this skill. But with the Great Courses Plus, I was able to learn that and so much more. And you can do that, too. All you've got to do is sign up for a free trial plus 20% off. But you have to do that at our special URL. So they know we sent you. So hit up thegreatcoursesplus.com slash Jesuitical and get access to a world of knowledge for really less than what most of us pay on a coffee each month. 
And now we have Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. What's our first story, Zach? So on Tuesday, Pope Francis made big news for anyone who has ever taught or sat in CCD, PSR, RCIA, or any other acronym of catechism instruction. That's right. With a couple of new documents, one directive and one reflective, Pope Francis established the new installed ministry of catechists and explicitly opened it up to lay people. Now, I know what you're probably thinking, listener, and it's probably something along the lines of, aren't there already lay people doing the majority of catechism instruction around the world? And that is correct, but it hasn't actually been an official ministry of the church, which often comes with more official ceremonies and formation processes until right now. And if this sounds familiar, uh, Pope Francis did something similar earlier this year on January 11th when he opened up the ministry of lector and acolyte to women that previously had been restricted to men and mostly men training to be deacons and priests. Right. The installed ministry, right? So like like catechists, there were people doing this, women doing this in, in this country and around the world, but it, it really hadn't been a formal, comes with bells and whistles, capital M ministry until this year. Yes. I'm still waiting for my bells and whistles. I'm a lector. A lector, a lowercase lector. Well, you need to yeah. talk to uh, parish council and- get one planned. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, the, there, it's estimated that there are more than 3 million men and women who are catechists around the world. And now they are eligible for a formal installation to their ministry. You know Why Why is this important? Why do we want to bring this story? Because on the surface, it sounds kind of like, I don't know, updating a couple documents, signing a couple papers, and nothing's really going to change. I don't think that's the case. And here's why. Yeah. So this expands the vision of what church means and what evangelization is. Like a lot of people, I think, when they think about the church, they think about priests and bishops and the pope and, you know, the, the hierarchy. When, of course, you know, we know it's more than that, but it's not always officially more than that. And so Pope Francis is, by doing this, is really putting into place what Vatican II envisioned, which was lifting up the people of God and recognizing the gifts that they give to the church. Right. And the importance of lay people kind of keeping the church together, especially in parts of the world where there are significant shortages of priests. That came up in 2019, sitting on the Amazon, which we talked about on this podcast. And you know, this these actions by Pope Francis and the Vatican are surely building off some of the insights on the importance of lay people that were gained there. But there is a second point, and this is one that's kind of near and dear to me, is that, you know, the role of the catechist is traditionally a pretty thankless and overlooked vital ministry. Now, I want to set the scene. How many times have you been at Mass, you know, maybe in August, towards the end of summer, and some poor, unpaid, tired, overworked volunteer, you know, saunters on up to the Ambo and basically begs other people to join her ranks, because it's most often a her, in doing the thankless, unpaid work of passing on faith formation in CCD and or PSR, whatever you call it. Now, often they've also, in an attempt to sell this, they'll be like, really, you don't have to have any training at all. You could be, If you have a pulse and you can pass a background check, please just come teach, you know, our parish's children the Catholic faith. Yeah. And that's such a shame because, you know, when it's done well, it it can be like the key thing that keeps someone in the church. And when it's not done well, I think a lot of people look back on their their CCD years and they're like, I didn't really get anything out of that. I think, you know, no offense to the, <laughs> the women who, who taught me and like did this thankless work. But like, I can't say that my CCD experience 
really had any uh, lasting impact on me. It was something I couldn't wait for it to be over. So like we need to recruit good people for this work and it's much more likely to do that when it's when they're you know recognized for the vital contributions they're making. That's right. I don't know. I I was reading this and thinking about this, and it kind of sounds like I don't know if you're in your if you're in a job and you you've gone above and beyond and done some work, and then your employer recognizes that formally in your job title somehow. It's just sort of like a nice like, hey, you are doing this. It is important, and we could put some structure around it. And God forbid. <gasps> Maybe even some pay. Like, wouldn't that be something if we decided to pay some of our catechists in this country? Well, hopefully with this new modu proprio from Pope Francis, that is a reality that we are moving closer towards. So thank you to all catechists out there and thank you to Pope Francis for recognizing him a little bit this week. What's our next story, Ashley? So this week, the Vatican intervened in the so-called communion wars that are raging in the United States. This is something we've talked about on previous episodes about how the bishops are trying to navigate their relationship with President Joe Biden, who is Catholic, but holds positions that are in opposition to church teaching. So on May 7th, the head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith sent a letter to the head of the U.S. bishops telling them to proceed with caution when it comes to formulating a national policy to kind of police who's receiving communion and who holds pro-choice positions. Yeah, I'll say I'm I'm pretty tired of this, <laughs> the so-called communion wars. I'm tired of this story, yeah. which is something I think we bemoaned um, in previous episodes is that this is just going to dominate news, which is not super productive or anything. And that's this comes after months of debate among the bishops about whether they need to pressure Joe Biden to stop receiving communion because of his support for abortion. And in June, they had planned to vote on a statement that would make clear to Biden and other pro-choice public officials that they should not present themselves for communion if they continue to advocate for abortion rights. Right. So that's the background. Um, and in this new letter, Cardinal Lardiera makes several important points uh, for the bishops to consider. And he explicitly said to Archbishop Jose Gomez, who he sent this to, that this should be shared with all of the U.S. bishops. And the biggest point was that any national policy that the bishops want to implement should not happen until there has been dialogue among the bishops themselves and they come to some sort of consensus and a quote-unquote extensive and serene dialogue between the bishops and Catholic pro-choice politicians within their jurisdictions. Right. And, you know, any type of policy would, would require some of that consensus or near unanimity among the bishops. Um, and that's very unlikely to happen, right? You have some bishops that see that this is really a necessary thing to do to sort of stand up for the unborn. And then you've got other bishops that see that this is going to have some pretty devastating consequences. People are going to perceive that the Eucharist is being politicized, especially because you know, very rarely is this type of action taken in regards to other grave moral issues, right? It seems to be from a lot of people's perspective, and there's some truth to this, that abortion seems to be the only one where this gets brought about and talked about. And you know that consensus clearly does not exist yet. Yeah, and to that point, the Cardinal said it would be misleading for any national policy with regard to the Eucharist to only talk about abortion and euthanasia as the quote-unquote grave matters of Catholic moral and social teaching that demand the fullest level of accountability on the part of Catholics. So pointing to the fact that, like you said, we don't often hear about the death penalty or or support for wars or things like that when we're- Or racism. Right. When we're talking about who who is worthy enough to receive the Eucharist. Right. So, you know, overall message was slow down, dialogue more, 
And only then maybe discern a way forward that's going to express some true consensus. And that consensus, as we mentioned, doesn't exist. Even in the pages of America Magazine, um, we've seen in the past couple of weeks, we've had two bishops in particular on America's website express sort of competing competing views, I would say. Um, one from Samuel Akula of Denver and one of Robert McElroy of San Diego. And we'll, we'll link to both of those in the show notes so you can see sort of both sides of this argument. But for more on this specifically, this is this was a huge news story for the Vatican. And so naturally, the, the team at Inside the Vatican is all over this. The story was broken by our Vatican correspondent, Gerard O'Connell, who's going to tell Colleen all about what's going on. So for more, check out this week's episode of Inside the Vatican. But before you do that, stick around for my and Colleen's conversation with Father Arturo Sosa. Joining us from Rome is Father Arturo Sosa, the Superior General of the Society of Jesus. Welcome to the podcast, Father Sosa. Hello, how are you? Very well. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, I know you have a busy week, and in fact, we're meeting with Pope Francis uh, just a couple days ago. Is that right? That's right. You are very well informed. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the picture was on Twitter, and it looked like you were having fun. But so we we do have to ask um since you are the superior general of the of the Jesuits and Pope Francis is our first Jesuit pope who's who's in charge between the two of you do you do you report to him or does he report to you He is the pope <laughs> He is the pope so it's very clear <laughs> very but clear he's still that a Jesuit. every Jesuit <laughs> reports to the to the pope mm-hmm. and is Maybe to 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 explain that when a Jesuit becomes a bishop, he the obedience is not more is not anymore for the superiors of the society. Mm. No, the bishop depends on the pope, and the pope depends on himself, mm-hmm. on the spirit. <laughs> so, because as you maybe remember, Ignatius de Loyola used to called the Pope the Vicar of Christ in Earth. So he's the Pope. So I am accountable to him. <laughs> so what is it like to meet with the Pope? What's your relationship like? No, it's a, it's a, very, it's a very fraternal and respectful relationship. Uh, Pope Francis knows very well the society of Jesus and, and knows how Jesuit can help him. And, uh, and he knows what to ask to the society and which persons can be missing for his projects. So he asks also very specific help and very specific persons to do it. And uh, in, a, in a very fraternal uh, way, we know each other many, many, many years ago, but he's older than me, so it's a, it's a, a, a relationship that has been growing uh, differently in different moments of my life. So you've said the Pope is the Pope. He's the Vicar of Christ on Earth. Uh, who is the Superior General? What is what is your job, and and how would you describe it? Well, I describe it as as the neck, as the neck of a body. <laughs> no, uh, you know that uh, Ignatius and uh, Saint Pauls uh, love to use the image of the body for the Church and for the Society of Jesus, and. 
I feel I am the neck of a body uh, that when the head is Jesus Christ. That is the, the head. And the superior general is the one who, who tries to assure the connection between the body and its head, that is Christ. And that's my, that's my task, to be the neck, to be the communication between the society of Jesus and the head, Jesus Christ. What are your favorite and least favorite parts of this job? Uh, be part of a universal intercultural body that is uh, so alive. So the contact with the different members of the body is is uh, is a, my favorite uh, part of the of my task. No visits in place are a privileged moment, but also the communication through other means, meetings in rooms, letters, emails, Zoom meetings that have multiplied in this uh, pandemic uh, year. But uh, because that, as I said before, being an egg. I always in contact with the the, the whole part of the of, of the body, and uh, I think it's a really uh, amazing how you every day have a surprise. Sometimes very positive, sometimes not so positive, sometimes very negative. Every every paper that comes to my to my desk, I say, let's see what happens here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are the uh, what are the more challenging parts of your job that people might not know about? It's not easy to find what is the less favorite. You know, maybe maybe uh, feeling lack of time and energy to face all the challenge that the body of the society has today. Looking forward to contribute in shaping a new world based in reconciliation and justice. No, I I feel that uh, I need more more time and more energy and more creativity uh, in my in my own in my own. uh, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So the podcast that I host is called Jesuitical, and we always say we're not Jesuits, but we work with them. So as Colleen and I are lay people who work for a Jesuit apostolate, um, are you technically our boss? Are we like the pinky toe of, no, of this body that you're in charge of? <laughs> I hope I can be one who inspires your work, who helps to find the sense of what you are doing and living when you share the same mission. Technically, your boss is who is in charge of the apostolic work you are part of. Maybe that voice that is behind you is your boss. But I am, I am in, in face to face to you, so I'm not your boss. Well, you mentioned that uh, you will hope to inspire us in our mission. So let's talk a little bit about that mission. Uh, right now, we are in the Ignatian year, which is a celebration of the 500th anniversary of the cannonball injury that St. Ignatius experienced while he was defending Pamplona. And, you know, we all know this story. It was a pivotal moment in his life. He was on bed rest. He began his conversion process then. Why is it important for the Jesuits to return to that moment of conversion in Ignatius's life? What does it teach us today? Well, we do not return to, we are not going back. We make memory of a special moment that actually opens a new path for the life of a man, Ignatius of Loyola. A moment that led him to fund the Society of Jesus. We can still learn a lot from Ignatius' process. A very important teaching is that finding Jesus in our life, we can experience styles of living we cannot even imagine by ourselves. 
And that's what happened to Ignatius. Ignatius never imagined what his life became after the personal encounter with Christ. If we open ourselves to deep our relationship with Jesus and things will become new to our eyes and new dimensions of our life mission will be renewed in a way we cannot plan or even imagine. That's why we, in this year, we don't talk about Ignatius. We talk about how we can see all things new, seeing from the point of view of Christ. That's what Ignatius learned in his own process. Well, I certainly never imagined I would host a podcast, much less talk to the head of the Jesuits. So <laughs> his, Ignatius was right about, about that. And so you say we need to learn to see again, and the Jesuits have uh, put out priorities for the next 10 years about how how they're going to approach their ministry. And they, they focus on the spiritual exercises and discernment, walking with the marginalized, accompanying young people, and caring for creation. So I'm wondering, you know, as I said before, we're not Jesuits, but we work with them. So what do these priorities mean for people like us, lay people who are involved in a Jesuit ministry or maybe work with students at a Jesuit school? Um, what, do you, what do you hope these priorities inspire in our work? Well, we don't talk strictly about priorities. We talk about preferences and preferences that because we are not making a kind of a hierarchy between different kinds of apostolates. No? We, are, we are trying to have a, a kind of uh, orientations for all what we do in all, all our, our apostolates that are so different in the society. And continuing with the image of the, of the body, I used to compare the apostolic preferences with a hand. A hand that is connected with, with the body through the wrist. And the wrist is moved by the head, no? The Holy Spirit, Jesus. And the hand needs five fingers. And to work, to work well, you need the five fingers. So we have four apostolic preferences. No, you just mentioned it. And we have an, uh, another one, no? That is the thumb is the collaboration, because we are not alone. The Society of Jesus is not only the only uh, group that is working in many other things. So we need to collaborate, and we need these four uh, special preferences in every action, every community, every apostolic work, everything we do. And that's why we can move like a good hand that can have a... Uh, all the complexity of movements of a hand. Now, one of those important areas of collaboration that I know the Jesuits uh, are looking at right now is collaboration with women, right? In in various areas of your work. And on International Women's Day last in, in March, uh, you announced the creation of this new commission on the role and responsibilities of women in the Society of Jesus. So what does the Society hope to accomplish in terms of looking for new forms of collaboration with women? Well, we collaborate with women uh, sharing the mission in many, many ways. And, and my hope is to deepen in all kinds of collaboration with women. I don't have the numbers in my, in my hands, but I think uh, uh, the majority of, uh, of uh, people who 
is sharing the mission with the Jesuits in this moment are women. If we took uh, uh, any any of uh, but the biggest the biggest uh, known uh, area of apostolate that is education, there are uh, thousands, maybe millions of women uh, working uh, together uh, in all the institutions that the Jesuits can uh, run in this moment. So even in the universities, even in the parishes, in social centers, the presence of women in our apostolic life is really a, a huge presence, a very important presence. And as Jesuits, we need to listen better to the voice of women with whom we work together. We need to be conscious of the process we are already living and take advantage in the best possible way. So that's the, the idea of the commission that has been created uh, some weeks ago. Has been appointed to help me and the whole body of the society in this process of better hearing the voices of the women and to deepen the collaboration among us. What would you like to say to, to those women that you're um, seeking deeper collaboration with? We, we have, you know... Some, some women who listen to these podcasts who work in Jesuit apostolates, is there a special message that you would like for them to hear, especially in this Ignatian year? Well, I, I, hope, I hope they, they are uh, able to help us, me and all the, the to, to, to be sensible to those dimensions of life that maybe we are not always in the first place putting in, in, in our face. And I think the, the, the women's sensibility, sensitivity, sensibility is very important to, to understand better the world uh, we are uh, working on. And also the better way, uh, we, are, we have synthesized our, our mission in the world reconciliation. And this is one of the, big, uh, the biggest uh, uh, abilities of women to contribute to reconciliation. You can also fight, but but also <laughs> you can you you also uh, can help to reconcile. So we hope that reconciliation can can gain a lot of uh, of uh, possibilities with the contribution of women in our mission. Got it. Well, if you need some uh, women collaborators to talk to, we're always available. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to ask you about Pope Francis again. I've heard that you have er, that he has a nickname for you, and I'm wondering how that started. Well, I don't know if he has a nickname for me. He he doesn't uh, refer to me with a nickname, but maybe was a uh, what something that happened in my first encounter with him as a pope. He in Rome. That was in September the 2014. Eh? After so many years, maybe 20 years that we have not seen to, uh, together since that last time we met. And at that moment, he said, "I've known you since you were a fool." <laughs> and that's that's the expression that some Jesuit that was the, around there. Took and that's it's not a nickname. It's only <laughs> uh, a way of saying I know you so long ago. Got away. it. Yeah, I had heard that he called you a little horse or something, but I think I thought it was a, a more <laughs> ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Oh my goodness. That's very funny. Um, sticking with uh, Pope Francis, um, there's a narrative around him and his papacy that he's a radical reformer. And among his fans, uh, this can sometimes lead to disappointment if they think he's not changing things fast enough or or far going far enough. And among his critics who are worried that, you know, he might be doing radical changes that that go against the, you know, the church tradition. So I'm wondering what do you think of that narrative? And is it is it the right one? Does it get something wrong about Pope Francis and what he's trying to do? Oh, Pope Francis is without doubt a man of the Second Vatican Council. For sure. If somebody wants to understand Pope Francis and his way of proceeding and his leadership needs to go back to the experience, to the decrease, and to the development of the church provoked by the Second Vatican Council. That's a, a, a reference point that we cannot uh, forget if we want to understand what is going on in the church and in the in the mind and the heart of Pope Francis. It is also important to recall the context where Father Bergoglio, many years before when he never imagined to be a pope, has lived and served as a Jesuit and later as a bishop. Bergoglio has been formed and he his ministry in the Argentinian context and in the wider Latin American context in a very, very uh, tough situation. No? I mean, uh, when he was a young uh, priest uh, uh, appointed provincial of the Argentinian Jesuits, my father Arrupe was in a dictatorship uh, situation. And he has to fight with a very uh, uh, complex political context and church context. And then, after being a bishop in, in Buenos Aires, he has been also a very important uh, man in all the uh, conference of bishops of Latin America. So, Pope Francis is leading the church in the sense of Vatican II, decided with the adjustments needed by the new times and the signs of the Spirit. That's why he is all the time talking about human migration in all its forms, the environment crisis, the growth of inequality, because the Vatican Council uh, teaches us to read the signs of times and to respond to them. And we have to respond with dialogue among all, especially different religions, and we have to use the dialogue as the path to fraternity. That's what Pope Francis is trying to do, and he is inspired in recently in the Vatican Council. If we go back, 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 we arrive to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a little bit more about Pope Francis and, and how being a Jesuit has shaped him as Pope. You know, he's somebody who talks a lot about discernment, which is a really important part of Jesuit spirituality. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, what what we can all learn from Pope Francis about discernment. Pope Francis uh, is not only a Jesuit, he's a Christian. And discernment is, is part of Christianity. Discernment is an essential dimension of Christian life in all times. No, it's not, it's not the, something recently. No, uh, Jesus was a man of uh, discernment. If you uh, read attentively the, the, the Gospels, you will see a man who is all the time trying to understand what is God's will 
to follow the God's will. And this Jesus and all the all Christians should mm -hmm. do that. And that's why Jesus stayed with us after the resurrection throughout the Spirit. He gave us the most precious gift, His Spirit, the way of discerning. We are about to celebrate Pentecost in a few days, so we can renew our idea of uh, being guided by the Spirit. Discernment is the skill every Christian needs to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And that's why Ignatian spirituality is so pointed on that. And Ignatian spiritual exercises are a kind of discernment school that mm -hmm. he learned in himself. So following the spiritual exercises, every person can be helped to hear the voice of God calling him to a fully human life and to decide to follow that voice, not to take to make an election. And, uh, mm -hmm. and you can also maybe remember that the, the success of Ignatius with the spiritual exercises were among university students. He was a university, an old university student, mm -hmm. and he get together with some young university students. All the first companions of Ignatius were university students gathered by the experience of the spiritual exercises. That's right. So uh, the, this school of discernment has been a very, uh, very fruitful for, for us in all the stage of our life and apostolate. So all Jesuits do the spiritual exercises, but one thing that's always struck me about the society is the, the diverse directions that Jesuits go on from there. So you have Jesuits who are teachers, doctors, actors, podcasters, uh, everything you can think of. And, you know, that's clearly part of the Jesuit charism and a strength of the order. But as the person who's on top of that, at the neck, how do you how do you manage such a diverse workforce? Well, of all, I every day I discover something new that Jesuits are doing, <laughs> no? Because each Jesuit is a is a is a font of creativity, and that is very important to understand that the Society of Jesus is not a, an organization for do something. It's not, we are, we are mm. not in the society. It's not a job. Mm. We are not, uh, we are not a bit higher for doing a teacher or for doing a, 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 a pastor, a parish pastor. No, we, we, the Society of Jesus is shaped of people who wants to respond to the uh, call of the Spirit. And as we also learn from the, from the Bible, the Spirits, we don't know where, where, where he's going to, to guide us. So what we need is to be very in touch, very in touch with the Spirit. And we do not invent the mission for ourselves or try to do new things because of the novelty they can have. We respond to God's will, whatever it might be. And that's my, my uh, big responsibility is to, to follow that, not to that to assure that the, the Jesuits, the body of the society, is really following God's will and know what we are discovering or trying to do. The governance of the body does, is done through a flexible structure that trusts a lot in every person who shares the mission and his roots in Christ. And we, we try to together find uh, the way that God is showing us. Yeah. So you, you have 
this amazing, diverse, you know, group of people who are doing so many cool and different things. You have, you're looking ahead to your your preferences for the future. But at the same time, you know, at least in the US and Europe, vocations have been going down. And so I'm wondering what your vision of the society is in the next 10 to 20 years. How are you guys accounting for that? Well, the, the first thing I have to say, I, I am not who is going to put limits to the Holy Spirit. Of course not. I will try not to put limits. It's not my, I have to do the, the, all the contrary. <laughs> so about how it's going to be the society, I really don't know. But anyway, at least it will be formed by people, transformed by the encounter with Christ, committed to share the experience with their contemporaries. So that's... That's also when, when uh, we pronounce our vows, we say that, that this is something that we have not started. And it's Jesus who started. And he will uh, uh, continue to call people to do this kind of lies. I think the society of Jesus in 10 or, or 20 years will be smaller than now in numbers of Jesuits, but huge larger in collaboration with others. Well, we are learning a lot. In, in collaboration with others. And this is a way of being integrated in a, in a bigger way of uh, carrying the mission of Jesus Christ. The Society of Jesus will be integrated by a greater variety of cultures living in and witnessing interculturality. This is a, an amazing di- uh, characteristic of the Society of Jesus. We are so diverse and, and, and this di- diversity is growing. No, we have people from I don't know how how many cultures living uh, the same vocation and the same spirit, and our big challenge is to to enrich ourselves from that uh, variety or diversity, and will be a, a society of Jesus adapting their lifestyles and works to the demands of a better balance with the environment. That's I think is a big challenge for our life. How how we embody as a, as a big group of persons in many places of the world, coming from different cultures, how we can uh, be witness of a new way of uh, relationship with the environment. Yeah, I really appreciate how you're making a point of balancing, you know, memory of the Jesuits' roots with the places that it's going to grow, right? Because I don't I think you understand that there doesn't need to be this separation. You can see it as one continual thing that all of it informs each other. Um, And so I want to ask you on the memory front, uh, your predecessor, Pedro Arupe, is up for canonization. And I was wondering how that process is going. Not as fast as uh, of my desires, but uh, a good pace. Uh, This year, uh, the diocesan phase uh, culminates. And it will be passed to the Holy See. So we are in the in the in the most uh, difficult part that is taking mm-hmm. taking the, the testimonies in different parts of the world in Japan, in uh, Spain, here in, in in Italy, and in some other places. Uh, people who knew him or people who has a reference to him, and to put that all together, and also uh, a very uh, qualified revision of the archive. No? Father Arupe wrote a lot as a general and wrote a lot as a provincial and wrote a lot as, as a uh, director of novices. And so uh, all this, all this, uh, his thought 
is taken in account and to make a, a, a good presentation of, of the person that he was. And also, we hope to soon be able to accredit some miracle that will lead him to beatification. That's right. Another, 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 the miracle, the miracle is everywhere because we are here. No, you are here. We are here. My, uh, Rupert is the man who has inspired the Society of Jesus as his shape today. All right. So we need our, our listeners to pray to, to Father Rupert so we can get some of those miracles. <laughs> we can do that. Um, we do have one last question for you uh, along those lines. If you could canonize one person, uh, living or dead, Catholic or not, fictional or real, who would it be and why? Well, I got two good candidates, two real we'll candidates. We'll allow it. We'll allow it. <laughs> is one a Rupert? One is Mahatma Gandhi. Oh, Mahatma okay. Gandhi is one. And the other one is Nelson Mandela. Okay. This, this, why, why, why? Because all of these two persons, uh, first of all, they have a very deep interior freedom. And it's amazing when you, when you read the life of uh, Nelson Mandela or Mahatma Gandhi, uh, living in so hard conditions, no, even in jail as Mandela for so many years, the interior freedom of these two men. And from that interior freedom, they were very committed with reconciliation and justice. Reconciliation and justice, both together, with themselves, beyond themselves, even beyond their families or friends. They were really working for all human beings. They were uh, creating humanity. And I think they are really saints in the sense of persons who are the image of God. All right. St. Gandhi and St. Mandela, pray for us. Amen. <laughs> uh, Father Sosa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We're really grateful and we are um, wishing you and all the Jesuits uh, well for this Ignatian year. We'll, we'll try to do our parts in, in that work and working towards those preferences. Thank you so much for you and for your people. And tell Pope Francis we say hi next time you see him. And now it's time for some housekeeping. What do we have this week, Zach? A couple things. First, we want to start out by thanking new Patreon supporters. Thank you so much. You help make this show happen. So shout out this week to Emily Letourneau and Danielle Mahoney. Thank you so much. And if you are listening and you are interested in joining their ranks and supporting this show, you can head over to patreon.com slash americamedia. And next, we are very excited to welcome a new podcast to the America Media Podcast Network. Really love saying that. That's <laughs> the right. American media. Yeah, it doesn't sound fun. <laughs> it was originally at one time. It was just this this show, yeah. <laughs> and we've we, we've gotten a little family now, and the family's getting bigger. Yes, we are welcoming Gloria 
Purvis, who will host the Gloria Purvis podcast. Gloria is such an impressive person. She has been a Catholic radio host and commentator for years. In the past year, she's been a really prophetic voice when it comes to racial justice in the Catholic Church. So she's going to be talking about that issue, as well as lifting up marginalized people within the church on this new podcast. And we've got a little teaser for you. Welcome to the Gloria Purvis podcast, my brand new podcast with America Media. There are so many voices that are not being heard in the Catholic Church today, and we're going to change that. Each week, I'll give you my take on what's happening at the intersection of the church and the world, and I'll speak to a guest about life, the church, and the complex issues you care about. Some people will say you're too liberal. Some people say you're too conservative. But you know what? I'm just Catholic. And that's what this podcast is about. So subscribe to the podcast and learn more at americamagazine.org slash Gloria Purvis podcast. So that was Gloria Purvis. And if you want to, you're not going to want to miss the first episode when it comes out. So if you can find it in your podcast feed now, wherever you're listening to this, go search for it, the Gloria Purvis podcast. It's going to be from America Media. Subscribe. So as soon as that first episode comes out, it shows up in your feed. All right. Now it's time for Consolations and Desolations, the part of our show where we talk about where we found God in our lives this week and where it was harder to find God. What do you have, Zach? So I've got a consolation. I, I've talked about on the show, you know, having some, I don't know, anxiety around the world opening back up and, you know, calendar filling up and just sort of being out and about again and feeling a little bit guilty that like there's a part of me that like sort of likes the way the world is for me right now and it, the way it's slowed down some. And I had a sort of reversal of expectations this this past week. I, part of my time away, I went to my brother-in-law's college graduation um, from Ohio University in sunny Athens, Ohio. And they were able to have an in-person, outdoor, sort of smaller graduation ceremony um, in their in their football stadium. And I will I'll never forget sort of sort of rounding this corner and walking in and seeing like a crowd of people that were you know distance and masked and whatnot, but it was still like the largest crowd I'd been in in God knows how long and they're playing the graduation music and I was just like very overwhelmed with emotion right both that you know we're able to do this but these college kids have like honestly their their last two years they've been to put it lightly they've been screwed by this virus and th- where the consolation was is that I would I've been able to like sort of look around there's an invitation to you know get out into the world when it as it's safe and it, as it makes sense and be invited into a relationship and i i can respond to that without giving these fears and anxieties about doing that as much power as they've had so far i don't know if that if other people have had this moment of your god's just saying look around look around <laughs> oh my God. how lucky we are to be alive right now um, I think that's the first time I've sang Hamilton on this podcast. Uh, yeah, I think so. But but seriously, that was that was my great <laughs> consolation this week is just sort of doing that, looking around and seeing the invitation that's being presented to you know step out into this this world that that is needs relationship. I love it. It's been too long since you've. It's been too long since I've watched Hamilton back. too. Now that it reminds me. <laughs> yeah. What do you have this week, Ashley? Uh, I have a desolation. I think I've also talked about on the show before how in the new year when I, you know, signed up to be a lector again, I really wanted to be intentional about, you know, my decision to go back to mass. Like 
if I was going to go back, I could no longer be in the habit. I It needed to be every week. Like I wanted it to be every week. Um, and, and I knew I needed to build that habit again because I don't know, it, I no longer was using the excuse of like making the right decision because of health risks or, you know, the threat I could pose to other people. So when I went back, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to treat it like I treated the mass for the rest of my life and I'm going to go every week. But the truth is I've fallen out of that habit. And, you know, the last week I just didn't go. It was, I wasn't up for lecturing. It wasn't my week and it was raining and I had a soccer game later and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. And like, after I made that decision, I was very much listening to the voice that was like, well, I guess, I guess you really don't care as much about the mass as you said you did. Like, clearly it's not that important to you if you're willing to just skip it because you're feeling lazy. Yeah. For a while, I I was listening to that voice and I talked to talk to Eric and you know clearly that was the voice of desolation and the evil spirit um, and it was desolating because it was keeping me from you know just like looking at this experience and being like oh like there is part of you that's not you know happy that you didn't go to mass and so maybe you you know just are in the process of building back that that catholic habit of doing it and that's a good invitation that you could be listening to instead of listening to this voice telling you that like you're a terrible person and you're going to hell because you skipped mass one week. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm glad I talked to Eric about that and I'm going to keep trying and, you know, not be as hard on myself when I slip up in the future. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you really just call me or Eric or somebody. Like you just need to. You're not going to hell. I promise. <laughs> yeah. All right. But I am getting us out of here. Jesuitical is produced by Maggie Van Dorn. Our editor is Kevin Christopher Robles. Faith Formation provided by Father Eric Sundrup. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Jesuitical. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. Jesuitical is a production of American Media in New York City. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis. We'll see you next week. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.